0: Uh, Elementary kids, you guys can head on out. Middle school too. Middle school too, you guys can head out as well, sorry. Anybody else that doesn't want to hear what I have to say this morning, I guess you can head out as well. I'm sure there's a room for you somewhere. Well, there's almost nothing um, better in life, at least that I've experienced so far, as snuggling with a baby. I mean, even if you're not the nurturing type, there's something about um, just that nearness of this little vulnerable body pressed against yours that just melts your heart, and I remember when our uh, our third child, now we have a fourth, so I have to keep that in mind, she's not our youngest anymore, but when our third child, Kinsey, was a baby, we also had a two-year-old and a four-year-old in our house at the time, and so we were a little nervous about just allowing her to cry at night because we were afraid it was going to wake the other two up. And so we started breaking all the parental rules by the time we got to our third one, we just didn't care anymore, right? So... We, you know, a few times there at night, we would just let her just sleep on our chest um, to get her back to sleep, just so that we could all get some sleep. And I just remember very clearly, you know, just her just sleeping on me. She probably covered about this much space um, on my chest. Just that little furnace on you, you know, just absolute nearness. I mean, you just can't get any closer than that, just like where your hearts are kind of sharing, you know, the same beat. And... Now, when they're infants, they don't really have a choice about that, do they? I mean, if you want to hold an infant, you just grab an infant and put it close to you, and you're like, see how much she loves me, right? So, um, But now it's something totally different when it's a toddler, because toddlers have choices, right? And they can choose to either be near you or not, and sometimes they don't want anything to do with you, and other times they'll like... Crawl right up in your lap, you know, when you're watching TV and kind of snuggle in close to you, or come to you with their arms up wanting a hug, or it's it's a totally different experience when you're chosen, right? It feels even more awesome. Now, my daughter Kinsey now is 14, so when she willingly comes to me and wants to give me an occasional hug, man, that's awesome because now she has 14 years of my bad parenting to overcome in making that choice, right? because I've been, sure, a jerk, I'm sure, from time to time, and so she's got to choose to put that aside and say, hey, this guy's all right, and, uh, and it still be near to me. And it's, it's, it's amazing to fill that nearness with those that you love. And as humans, we all long for that type of intimacy, don't we? I mean, just to be connected, to draw near to somebody. So this, this morning, I want to talk about taking that same desire that we have with our human relationships and then looking at at that same desire that we might have to connect with with God, our loving Heavenly Father. What does it look like to draw near to God, to be intimately connected with Him in a way that reassures um, our love for Him and, and His love for us as well? I think it's important for us to remember That from the very beginning, God's desire was to be in intimate relationship with mankind. When you look back in in the book of Genesis, at the very beginning of creation, you have Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and and it has this this image of God coming and taking a stroll in the garden each and every day to connect with with Adam and Eve. And so there was this, this absolute oneness because there was no sin in the world, so everything was perfect between God and man. And then we know how the story goes. Adam and Eve choose to disobey God. And so then the next scene, after they disobey, you see God again coming into the garden looking for Adam and Eve to connect with them. And what are they doing? They're hiding out behind the bushes in shame and guilt. And all of a sudden now we have this this gap that's entered into that relationship, this distance between the heart of God and the heart of his people. Because over here you have this this holy and righteous and perfect God who now has a different relationship with mankind because mankind is is sinful and flawed. And so there's this distance there, this gap. And I think it's important that we look at this um, and we see evidence of this time and again, this separation in the Old Testament. So I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles this morning to Exodus chapter uh, 33, it's page 62 in your pew Bibles. Exodus chapter 33. We're going to start in verse 18. <clears throat> and so this is one of several scenes where Moses goes up on the mountain to connect with God and to hear from God. God is speaking to Moses about leading his people to freedom, leading them to the promised land. And so in Exodus 33, we see this conversation between Moses and God. And Moses says to God in verse 18, Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. So God was speaking to mankind on occasion, from time to time, okay? But there were certainly some boundaries regarding or surrounding the the level of intimacy that could be present. There were kind of some rules of the game there, okay, of how close man could come. I want you to flip over now to Isaiah chapter 6, which is page 477. Isaiah chapter 6, 477, starting in verse 1. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. High and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, just a fancy word for angels. With two wings, they covered their faces, with two, they covered their feet, with two, they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the door posts and thresholds (laughs) try to say that quickly. Shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. This is Isaiah talking. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So Isaiah is freaking out because he has seen the Lord in all of his glory, and he understands that this is special, that mankind doesn't get to do this. To, to catch a glimpse of a God who was holy, holy, holy. And he's honestly afraid that God's just going to strike him dead right there, that he's not going to survive this viewing of God. And you see, for, for thousands of years, most people did not get to interact with God face to face. God was to be respected and revered. And only on very special occasions were people given the opportunity to catch some kind of a glimpse. Of God, Maybe it was somebody like Moses who was a great leader of the people or a prophet like Isaiah or maybe um, a high priest, which we're going to talk about here in a minute. And as time went on in Israel's history, they built in Jerusalem a temple for the worship of God. And in that temple were several rooms and you had to have kind of like security access to get farther and farther into the, the, the innermost room, which was called the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies, it was a room that was separated by this really thick curtain. And, and only one person can go in that room, and that was the high priest. And the high priest only got to go in that room once a year. And he would go in during the Jewish celebration of Yom Kippur, if you've heard of that before. It, it's, it's, it means the Day of Atonement. And once a year, this high priest would get to go into this room with the blood of a, a sacrificed lamb and present that blood on the altar uh, as, as forgiveness of sins for the people of Israel. He would make an offering to God, a sacrifice there. And, and God's glory would descend upon that room and receive that offering of that spotless lamb that would pay for the sins of Israel for the next year. Uh, this practice is described in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 9. It says, but only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood which he offered for himself and for the sins that people had committed in ignorance. Have you guys been watching the, the series AD on Sunday nights? Anybody been seeing that? Nope, you're all watching reality TV somewhere. So there's this, there's this thing about Jesus that's on TV and it's actually pretty decent, but I watched it a couple of weeks ago with my daughters and they were in the temple in Jerusalem and there was like these sheep like with blood everywhere and my daughter's like, what is going on there? And that's that was the system. In order to have your sins forgiven, you had to bring this spotless lamb to pay for that. So very different system than what we have now. So this, this high priest would be allowed to go into that room and there was actually a legend um, that was very accepted and I actually thought was, was bona fide until I started researching this week and they're like, yeah, we're really not sure if this was true or not. But this is important to understand. So there was this legend that the high priest, when he would go in, would tie a rope around his ankle. Uh, in case he went into the Holy of Holies and God would not accept the offering. And then he might be struck dead right there. And since nobody else could go in, the only way they could get that guy out was to pull the rope and drag his body out. And they, they said that they'd wear bells around his, you know, so you could hear him pass out, I guess. The bells would ring and they'd pull him, okay? So now, even if that's not true, the fact that it is a legend tells you how serious this business was, okay? This was serious business, Serious business between God and man. Jews were not even allowed to say the name of God out loud in the Old Testament. So there was this distance between God and man that was, that was to be respected, okay? But even in the midst of that relationship that we've kind of been drawing out here, there were glimpses of a deeper intimacy that was possible. And sometimes you see verses in, in the Psalms like these that, that kind of hint at that, Psalm 34, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 119, yet you are near, Lord, and all your commands are true. Psalm 145, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. And I think it's important for us that we have an understanding of where things stood between God and the people of Israel before Jesus arrived on the scene. Because God arriving in the flesh, Emmanuel, which means God with us, it ushered in a radical new nearness between God and man. Because about 2,000 years ago, something unbelievable happened. God came near. In this incredible, radical, humble act, The God of the universe put on human skin, allowed himself to be born to a teenage girl. And Mary and Joseph held God. Flesh to flesh. They snuggled with the creator of the universe. And I'm spending some time this morning kind of giving you some background and kind of developing this whole story here, because it's important for you guys to understand why the Jews were so resistant, many of them, to Jesus' message. Think about this in terms of how they used to view God, and then all of a sudden, you know, we have this paradigm of, oh, well, Jesus is our best friend, you know, you see t-shirts and, and truck stops, you know, Jesus is my BFF, you know, and we have this very intimate, casual relationship with Jesus, But when he grew up and he started to have his public ministry and he went out into the streets and amongst his fellow Jews and he said, I'm God, that was like mind-blowing for the Jews to think about, okay, in the past only one person has gotten to even have some kind of a connection with God face-to-face intimately. Now you're telling us that you, the carpenter's kid from Nazareth, the poor guy, this wanderer, you're God, and, and you're walking around and having us over for dinner and playing with our kids, and we can come up and give you a hug, and like, it just didn't make any sense to them. It was so foreign. They couldn't wrap their minds around that kind of intimacy. And as Jesus went from town to town, he called people to himself Right, you see him saying things like, Come, follow me, you know, let the little children come to me close, near. And probably the most dramatic illustration of this new nearness occurred right after his death. I want you to turn over in your Bibles to, to Matthew twenty seven, page six ninety eight. Matthew 27. So this is right, this is Jesus' last kind of act here in verse 50 on the cross. When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So the curtain separating God from man was torn down. Was torn down. Jesus' death, the the death of a pure and spotless Lamb of God, once and for all paid for the sins of all mankind and eradicated any distance between the Heavenly Father and His children any longer. There was nothing separating them. And you didn't have to be somebody special, like a high priest. To, to experience and to connect with God up close. And so now, under this new understanding, there, there's a new invitation to us. I want you to flip your Bibles over to Hebrews chapter 10, which is uh, page 843. Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, starting in, in verse 19. It says therefore brothers and sisters since we have confidence to enter the most holy place that holy of holies we were just talking about by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body Jesus' body and since we have a great priest over the house of God let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. A new and living way opened up for us. Guys, this is powerful stuff. And I felt the, the Spirit prompting me this past week to speak about this today, that the intimacy and access granted to us by God to be close in his presence. Because some of us here today, I would venture to guess, are weighed down by a guilty conscience over whatever. Some of you are, are oppressed by this sense that your, your sins or whatever that you've done can't be forgiven. And I'm here to remind you that accusation is from the devil, not from God. Romans 5 1 tells us that since we have been justified or made right with God through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8 1 tells us that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So if you are feeling weighed down today by guilt or hearing a voice of condemnation in your life, God is saying to you today, come near. Come near. And I want you guys to understand that intimacy with God is not something that we have to strive for. If you are a follower of Christ, then God cannot be any closer to you than he already is. In fact, he's taken up residence in our hearts. He's made his home in us. Look at John fourteen twenty three. It says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. So if you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in you. God is near. God is near. So how do we draw near to God? We simply recognize and acknowledge that he is already near. We remind ourselves what is true. God is near me. God is near me. Though my heart may feel distant, though my mind has wandered, though my circumstances seem to be telling me that God is nowhere near, he is. And he's waiting for us to acknowledge and turn towards His presence. And the image that came to me as I was thinking about this is is the image of a husband and wife. And you know, you can you share a bed with this person, and you are close, right? Most of the time, unless you've got a big dog like I do, that sometimes sleeps between us, you can reach over and touch your spouse. I mean, they are near physically. But sometimes emotionally you can feel like your world's apart. But it's not because they're not near you. They're right there. But it's just a matter of the fact that you haven't turned your hearts towards each other lately. You haven't looked each other face to face and interacted with one another and talked through some things that are tough to maybe talk about and what's causing the distance. It's a reality, they're near, and in fact, husbands and wives, the Bible says the two are one flesh, so they are even closer than just six inches away. God sees you as the same person. You can't be any more near than that. And when we come to him, we have the promise that God will cleanse us. As the writer of Hebrews says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with full assurance that faith brings. Guys, he wants to cleanse us today. He wants to remove our guilt and shame. He's inviting us to come. In Matthew 11, another passage you guys are probably pretty familiar with, he said this, he said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He wants to bear our burdens and carry our loads. So come to him. Stop trying to carry the worries of life on your own. And guys, I need this reminder. I needed this reminder this week. (laughs) Because sometimes the weight of The the burdens and the concerns of my family, friends, and the collective body of believers here at Wellspring seems like a lot of burden for me sometimes. And I need that reminder that I wasn't created to carry everybody's stuff. That I need friends that are in this with me as well. God's word reminds us that his presence inside of us sustains us. Look at what he said in John chapter 6. Verse 35, he said, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Then in verse 37, he says, all those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Come near and you will be satisfied. Though the world might reject you, I will never drive you away. And I want to close today by looking at at what comes next in Hebrews chapter 10. If you're still on that page, hang there. If you're not, turn back to it again real quickly. And just as a reminder, when you read Scripture and you maybe are focusing in on one verse or somebody tells you one verse, read the other verses around it. To make sure you kind of understand the context in which that verse is spoken, to kind of get a full understanding of all God is trying to say about that verse or in that passage. Okay? So, back in Hebrews 10, page 843, so we have this great promise that because the curtain was torn we can come with confidence into the presence of God and when we come the promise of God is this is that i will cleanse you of a guilty conscience i will wash our bodies with pure water we will be made new then what is this nearness this cleansing this washing for our own benefit or is there a greater responsibility Let's look at verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. You see, it turns to community. Right? Let us encourage one another. Let us remind our dear brothers and sisters of what is true about them. God is near, and he's come to heal you. Don't isolate yourselves, the writer says, but continue coming together, gathering together as a church, as a body of believers, reminding each other of what is true, drawing near to God, not just by yourself, but with a group of people as well. Because this isn't just good news for you. It's good news for everyone who desires to be intimately connected to God. So we have a responsibility to turn our hearts towards God and and to draw near in intimate fellowship with him with full assurance of what he desires to do in our lives. But we also have a responsibility to share that good news with others. And connecting back to my original story of a parent and their child, there is nothing that our Heavenly Father loves more than when we choose to draw near to Him. When we choose to turn our hearts towards Him and come to Him and rest in Him, fully loved, fully accepted, fully secure. So would you draw near to him today? He's already there. He's waiting for you to turn your heart towards him. And I think it's really important and kind of what I wanted to share with you today is that this intimate access that we have that the people in the Old Testament did not have? It cost Jesus his life. This intimate access that we have wasn't cheap. And so I would say yes there are some amazing promises and some amazing benefits of drawing near to God. God says if you draw near to me I'll do these things for you. But I don't want you to focus on those things. On the benefits of what you might get by doing it, I want you to focus on what He's already done. He's already done more than we ever deserve. By dying for our sins, by tearing that curtain down and giving us intimate access with Him, He's already placed His Spirit inside of us, so that we would have His power, His reminder, sealing, uh, you know, our faith, our eternal life in our hearts forever. Hasn't He done enough? Isn't that worth your time, your praise, your adoration? I think it is. (laughs) And if we do that with just a grateful heart, plus we get some other benefits that he has for us, well, man, we're doubly blessed. (laughs) But go to him because you're grateful. Make space for him because you're grateful. Draw near to him because you're grateful. Not for what he might do for you, but what he's already done for you. And as we come to the table this morning, it's an opportunity for us to be reminded of what is true, that Jesus' body was broken, his blood was poured out, so that we might have that intimate access with him, so that that curtain might be torn. So that never again would we have to wonder, can we enter into the presence of God for fear of our life? But we have a Heavenly Father who knows us and longs to be with us. So we're gonna have some space and just some silence for some prayer, some time of confession. Maybe you can go back to that question, what is the new song that God wants us to sing today? And then in a little while, the ushers will come and dismiss you. You can come forward and tear off the bread and dip it into the cup and and take it. If you're gluten-free, there's uh, crackers over there in a separate cup that you can use if you need that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. God, we have no idea the costs to give us this intimate access that we have, that that we come in here every Sunday morning and we sing about and we we take so for granted. God, for thousands of years, that was not the situation between God and man. But now we have this ability just to call you Daddy. (laughs) We can say your name, and you've given us hundreds of names to call you. God, you were near to us. Thank you so much for that. God, let us draw near out of a spirit of gratitude and gratefulness for your love for us this morning. Hear our prayers as we come to you.